Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. I want to greet you tonight, and I'd like to say welcome to our Thursday night Bible study. It's great having you here, and it's always a pleasure to be here. I greet you all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Um, those members that are online and those that are here with us, greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to say thanks to my pastor for allowing me this opportunity. And it's good to be here. <laughs> it's good to be here. Amen. It's cold outside. It's it's warm inside, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord among like-minded saints. We are here to sharpen each other, to learn from each other, and to just do the things that are right and pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. Let us go before the Lord in prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Lord, you are God, and you saved us for a time like this, Lord. Lord, we thank you, we honor you, and we give you all the praises tonight. Lord Jesus, I thank you, O oh God, for just keeping your hand upon us. There is no telling what would have happened, Lord. I thank you, O oh God, for just protecting us, for your mercies that are renewed every morning, Lord. We thank you, O oh God, for having mercy upon us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we lift you up because there is none like you. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the great God. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Tonight, Lord Jesus, I pray that your hand will be upon our congregation, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will move in the midst of us. I pray that those that are at home watching us, Lord Jesus, you'll also move in the midst of them, Lord. And I pray, O oh God, that tonight, whatever you have for us, we will get it tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we will continue to yearn for the word of God, continue to have a zeal for the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that we will hide it in our hearts, that we will not sin against you, Lord. That when the tempter comes, O oh God, that word that we have hidden in our heart, we will be able to resist you, resist the enemy, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would touch us tonight. Keep your hand upon us, O oh God, as we continue to walk in your light, Lord. As we continue, O oh God, to lean on you. And not lean on our own understanding, O oh God. In the name of Jesus Christ. I pray for those, Lord Jesus, that are out sick in the body, Lord. Lord Jesus, you are the healer. You are the great physician. And I pray, O oh God, that your healing virtue would move upon each and every one of them, Lord. And touch them, Lord. Strengthen them. Touch them from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet, Lord. And Lord Jesus... I pray, O oh God, that you would make them whole, O oh God, so they can return to serving you and to praise you and be a witness for you in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Bless us tonight as we have our service in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight we will just get into the word of God. We don't have the luxury tonight of our pastor, so I pray that you would listen to me keenly. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to, I have entitled this um, lesson tonight, Putting God First. Putting God First. Um, God made man to worship him. And if you look throughout the Bible, you'll see so many scriptures that testify of this. And I'll just, I'll just go through two or three of them. Psalm 150, verse 6, it says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. He made us to worship him. Another scripture here in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 100, 2 to 3, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. So, we are to praise him. And the final one I'll use this uh, tonight, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. Solomon wrote that one. Solomon was the wisest man. And this is what he wrote after he had experienced a lot of things, he wrote this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Amen. So God made us to worship him and as long as we worship him, that would be fine. But Adam and Eve sin, and sin separates us from God. So from the minute Adam and Eve sin, there was a, a difference. We didn't have that direct contact with him anymore because the Bible says he would fellowship with them in the cool of the garden. The scripture, Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. So, when man sins, the penalty for sin is death. But because we have a merciful God again, he made a way for us to reconcile with him so that we, are, we don't um, get the penalty right away. When, whenever, whenever we sin, we separate ourselves from him, and if we continue in that way, we will, it's a spiritual death, and eventually we will die in our sins. Before man sinned, 
God had already made a way for a way for us to fellowship with him. God knows everything. He he knows the end from the beginning. So he knows everything. He knew what man would do and what they would not do. And if he didn't make a way for us, we all would have died. Because, of course, the soul that sinned shall surely die. So, fast forward to Moses. Moses um, led the children of, is- of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. The scripture, Exodus 25, 8 says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. This is Moses getting instruction to build that um, tabernacle so that God would be with his people. He may dwell in the midst of his people. God wanted his people to have a worship center in the midst of them so they could worship him. Remember everywhere God led his people the Israelites, they walked with that tabernacle. And it was always with them until they reached the promised land and it had a permanent place in Shiloh. The tabernacle resided in Shiloh during the time of the judges. So here it finally had a, a... a permanent resting place. First place of that sort for the, for the um, tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle we had the Ark, um, Ark of the Covenant. Inside that now um, we had the, tab- the, the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff, our rod that budded, and the jar of manna. So that was inside the um, inside the tabernacle. Shiloh was a central location where all the tribes of Israel gathered for feast or peace offering. They worshipped God in the tabernacle from that time until the day of Eli, the priest, and Samuel, the young prophet. So they moved from a stage of, you know, just marching through the desert, just going from one point to the other. And they went to the promised land and Shiloh was the place that they set up this tabernacle and they would come at various times and they would worship in the tabernacle. And later on, Solomon built a temple. Okay, so we're going to look at Eli. Eli was the priest at the time. Eli was the high priest and judge of Shiloh during the time of the judges. Eli was a good priest. He loved the Lord and ministered unto the people. He served Israel for approximately 40 years and was eventually replaced by Samuel, the last and greatest judge, priest, prophet in Israel. So he's the one that actually mentored um, Samuel. Samuel grew up in the temple with him. Eli lived his life ministering to the people and doing what was right and pleasing to God. 
he was also very humble because he knew that Samuel would someday take over and that didn't bother him. He taught Samuel everything he knew. Neither did he attempt to harm him. He just taught him what he knew. He even taught him how to hear the word of God and respond to the voice of the Lord. And as you know, sometime in, in, in the church, there are power struggles. You know that this young preacher comes and he, he is about to, you know, someday take over. The senior pastor probably don't want that. And th sometimes there is power struggle. But this is the way how it should be done. A smooth transition. There should be no power struggle or anything. Eli's sons. Eli had two sons. Hophni and Phinehas. Eli, um, they were raised by God-fearing um, father. He was a priest. And they were raised by him. But the two sons did not follow in the footsteps of their father. And they did not know God for themselves. They went to church. They heard the word. But they did not make an effort to know who God is. And to foster a relationship with him. So they were just going. They... They didn't know him. Hophni and Phinehas were considered worthless, corrupt, lawless, and reckless. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and were called sons of Belial. They were going through the motion in the tabernacle, performing their duties, but had no connection to God. They were sinful and unrepentant. Sometimes that still happens. You have people come to church and they are most active. And they don't have a relationship with God. They, they, they don't attempt to have a relationship with God. But they are in the front line. Everybody sees them and they learn the, the politics. They, they, you know, how to speak, how to answer, you know. Or how to greet everybody. And they keep doing that. But they never develop a relationship with God. Here is an example from way back. These two young men that were brought up by a priest. A high priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. 1 Samuel 2.12 Sons of Belial means wicked men, men who were controlled by Satan. And I'll, I'll give you an example here. In Judges chapter 19, verse 22, it says, Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man, that came into thine house, that we may know him. This, um, this was a, a traveler traveling through the city. Night came down on him, him and his wife, 
and, and uh, he lodged into this place. This old man took him in because he knew what would happen out there if he stayed out there the night. And the men of the city came and knocked on the door. They weren't interested in, in the woman or anybody else. They were interested in the man. They said, send out the man, let us know him. The story had a not so good ending. Um, here is another example. First Samuel 1.16, it says, Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. That was Hannah when she was crying out for a, a child and she was in the temple. And Eli thought she was drunk and mistakenly, um, you know, called her out in that way. So she's explaining that don't call her, you know, the sons of um, daughter of Belial because she was praying to God, even though no words were coming out. Her lips were moving, and that's what he felt. That's the reason why he felt that she was drunk. His two sons did not care about God, the God of Israel. So they grew up in a Christian home, or a God-fearing home. Let me say that. And they knew about God. They saw what their parents did. They saw other people serving and if you remember um in in there in in those times the man was the priest of the home and he would teach them regularly every year or every certain time he would teach everybody inside there about the word of god so they knew but they did not make an effort to um have a relationship with god Eli could only lead them to the Lord. He could lead them to the Lord, teach them, and pray for them. But they had to develop a relationship with God for themselves, and they did not. Even today, this is happening. We take our kids to church. We, um, we teach them as much as possible. We put them in whatever groups they need to go in, and you know, some continue in the way of the Lord, but some, once they reach a certain age, they do what they feel like. So we just have to pray for them and continue, continue praying for them. Hophni and Phineas probably were only about pleasing themselves. So it appears as if from an early age they learned how to just go to church and use the fact that their, their father is the high priest, use it to their advantage because they weren't doing, they weren't, they weren't attempting to have a relationship with God. So that's what they probably were doing. They using the priesthood to gain authority and good life. They probably never considered devoting themselves to the Lord. Remember, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord at a tender age, and he grew in the fear and admonition of the Lord. 
It says that in 1 Samuel 3.19. Uh, and if you look back, nothing like that was said about Hophni and Phineas. Nothing like that was said. None of them um, gave their, uh, were dedicated. Nobody said anything that they um, grew up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They just grew up knowing about God. From a tender age, Samuel had made up his mind to serve the Lord and put him first in his life. So, the difference that you can see right here is those two, um, uh, Eli, two sons, they didn't care about the Lord. While Samuel, even at a tender age, he was devoted to God and he had a made up mind to serve the Lord. So he put God first. So the question now is what exactly did Hophni and Phinehas do? Because the, the, the scripture dis, uh, describes them earlier as the son of Belial. So in um, 1 Samuel 2, verse 13, it says, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook and three teeth in, it, in his hand. Eli's son did not respect God's law, and they were greedy. The law required that they should take a certain portion of the sacrifice for the priest. However, they used a special fork and took whatever they hooked from the boiling pot. So this pot was there boiling and they would come and they would just, they wouldn't take the portion that they are supposed to take. They just took up what they wanted, the best parts for themselves. They had changed the laws of God and replaced it with a practice that suited them. So, clearly, they had no regard for the laws of God. In Leviticus 3.16, it says, And the priest shall burn them upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savior. All the fat is the Lord's. So, those offerings, nobody should take the fat. Just... Uh, it should be burnt and offered to the Lord. Verse 14 says, And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither, there. Whoever came there to offer um, sacrifice, this is what they did. They took charge of it and they corrupted it. They did it their way, which was not in line with what God wanted. A lot of times we see people rewriting the law, rewriting the word of God, so to speak. They, they do it their way. And if you do it often enough your way, you will think that's the right way. They randomly used a flesh hook and took up whatever they found. 
The law states that they should give the priest the right shoulder of the animal and wave it before the altar first. They didn't care about all of that. They did what they wanted. 15 says, also before they burnt the fat, the priest servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. So they wanted it like that. The law requires that the fat of the animal be burnt on the altar to the Lord. No exception. It was different with them. They not only didn't have a relationship with God, but they didn't care. And they were, they were grievous in what they were doing now because they, they disregarded the holy place. And they did what they felt like do, doing because they felt like there was no, um, they wouldn't be held accountable. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as they thy soul desire, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. So, they take it a step further. They forcefully went there for whatever they wanted. They knew that the sacrifice to the Lord was sacred, but they did not care. They did this in the tabernacle, showing no fear of God. The people were irritated and annoyed to bring their sacrifice to the temple, only to have Eli's two sons take whatever they wanted before it was even offered to God. So, they were frustrating the people as well. They were sinning against God, they were frustrating the people, and they were just causing a havoc. The priests were sinning grievously against God and also causing the people to sin against God. 1 Samuel 2, 24-25. Eli's two sons sinned grievously against God, and God sent a prophet to warn them, but he turned his back on the warning. He heard the warning, and he knew that God is God. He's a priest, so he knew what God could do, but he just didn't pay it any mind. So let's see, let's see why. Because it's one thing when you don't know something, but when you know exactly what are the consequences, then and you um you still do what you do. That makes a big difference. God's message to Eli. Samuel was a little boy who was dedicated to the Lord by his mother. She weaned him and took him to Eli to live and learn the ways of the Lord. Um, while still a young boy, the Lord spoke to him and gave him the following message to Eli. It says here, and the Lord said to Eli, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that hear it shall tingle. The first message the young child got was this, this message to Eli. And it was about, you know, 
destruction coming on the house of Eli. So it wasn't a good message. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth it, both his ears shall tingle. And I looked up this just so that, you know, I wouldn't miss any part of the meaning. It, it is really severe judgment. So God was making it clear that he is going to bring severe judgment upon the house of Eli because of what he allowed his son to do. He didn't do it. He allowed his son to do it. But by he was in authority. He was the high priest. And they were um, under his authority. So he could have stopped it. It goes on further to say, And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. These were like weighted lines that they would drop down to see if the building was, was straight. And if it wasn't straight, they would knock it down. So um, the scripture says, And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So that tells you that this judgment that is pending is going to be so severe nothing will be left undone he was going to go through every everything and he was going to um discipline every everybody every offender jerusalem was found to found to be out of line and god was about to tear it down so that was happening that was what was about to happen. On that day, I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. So, this is coming against Eli. The thing is, he already warned Eli about what was to come. He sent a man of God to tell him what he was about to do. And why he was doing it. It was up to Eli to repent and make it right with God. But he didn't. What I've learned from reading the Bible is even a situation like this. That judgment is pending. It's, all, it's imminent. If Eli and his sons had repented. There would be a different outcome. Nineveh is an example. They were wicked. And they were basically marked for death. They were wicked. And they would be judged. But when the prophet went there and preached to them, they repented and they fasted. And that saved Nineveh at that time. God would probably still remove him. But there would be a different outcome because we serve a merciful God. 13 says, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. 
because his son made themselves vile and he restrained them not. So he's going to judge the house. He's going to um, bring down judgment on Eli and Eli's sons, everybody in the house, because Eli knew what his sons were doing, but he did not do anything to prevent it. He, he spoke to them. He spoke to them, but this deserves a strong reprimand and moving them from the position that they were in. He didn't do that. So Eli didn't put God first. He put his son first because he was more in line with his son. If he didn't reprimand his son, either he was afraid of the son or he was... Um, he, he, he just didn't care. Eli loved his sons more than God. He was the high priest over, over all the priests and should remove them from their position because he knew what they were doing. Uh, the people complained about what they were doing. So it's not like he didn't know. And he spoke to them, but, you know, lightly reprimanded them rather than um, forcefully and, and, and uh, rebuking them. He should have done that and he should have removed them. They should have been removed from the office before God did. So by him keeping them there and allow God now to move on them, there's no turning back. And therefore, I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of the Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Eli allowed this situation to get out of control. And sometimes we do that. We are supposed to take charge and, um, and make sure that everything ends right there. Repent ask God for forgiveness, and move on. But he didn't, so it spiraled out of control. His son was still doing it. It was still grieving God. And he was just carrying on as if everything was good. Everything that happened here happens in the church. It happens in some church, you know, um, things happening, and it is not according to the will of God. It's not according to the, the Bible, but it, it continues to happen, and it grieves the Lord. And he will always have his prophet, or you will always be, be able to hear through the word of God. And when nobody listens, then the next thing is judgment. God is looking for obedience and not sacrifice. Obedience. If you obey the Lord, then that is what he is looking for. Eli, outwardly Eli was good. God fearing he was the judge and the priest. Outwardly, he was, he was good. There is nothing in Eli's life 
that showed he sinned so grievously against God to warrant the, the, the destruction that was pending. There's nothing that he did. However, God saw Eli's heart and it was not right before him because Eli put his son before God. Eli ignored the warning from God and allowed his son to continue doing, his sons, both of them, to continue doing what they were doing in the temple. God's desire for us is to worship him, but to worship him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And to put him first. And once you're not doing that, you're not serving him the way he wants you to serve him. You're serving serving him on your terms. And that's not going to work. God requires that we put him first, that we honor him. Eli placed his two sons first. He placed his two sons before him. They were stealing from the temple. They were greedy. And they were, commit, they were committing lewd acts with the woman who worked in the temple. But in all of this, if you look at this, you will realize that we serve a merciful God. Because there are times in the Bible that things like this happen and that person dies immediately. God could have killed them right away. But he chose to send his prophet to warn them. So that is giving them mercy. That is allowing them another day to repent and to make it right. But they didn't. Eli didn't take advantage of um, the opportunity that he got. He took it for granted. We should not take this for granted you know God's mercy God's grace Eli probably um, feared his son or loved his sons too much and because of that he didn't want to reprimand them in the way that he should have done and prepared to face God's wrath with them that that wouldn't be a wise decision, but that seemed to be the case. Some parents know their children are doing wrong and defend them anyway. It could be the case. One of the dangers of sinning in our heart is that we do not see anything wrong with it. And we don't think we have to repent. You see, if we, if we sin openly... And someone sees and, you know, people look at us funny and all that kind of thing. Then, you know, you know you sin. You know everybody <laughs> knows that you sin. So, um, that, if you didn't even want to, that will drive you to the altar and to repent. But when you sin in your heart and nobody else knows, then you tend to feel that you can get away with it. And not remember that the eyes of the Lord goes to and fro. And he, he sees everything and knows everything.
We should never take God's warning lightly or dismiss it. God sees everything we do and will judge us if we do not repent and make it right with him. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro the earth and he sees our sin. There's no hiding from him. No, it doesn't matter where we go. He is there. Amen. And uh, finally, in everything we do, we should put God first. In everything that we do, we should put God first. Eli placed his two sons before God. He honored his sons above God. And God will not share his glory. And God wants us to honor him with our heart, mind, and soul. He doesn't want to be second. He created us and not we ourselves. So we should never give him second. We should give him the best, the first. Amen? I'm going to end with this scripture that tells you exactly what um, he did. First Samuel 2.29, it says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifice and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. So this is what he did. He honored his sons above God and um, they became fattened, <laughs> you know, because they took the parts of the meat that they wanted, not what was um, what the law said they should have. They took what they wanted. So they totally rewrote what was supposed to be done. So put God first. If we put God first, we will do everything to please him. But if we think about pleasing ourselves or pleasing others first, just think about what happened to Eli when he did that. God warned him and he didn't heed the warning and then judgment. Amen? Amen. We are at the end of our Bible study about Eli. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I pray that some, you would have gotten something from this message. Something that you should put God first and not, you know, just have God as an afterthought. You should put him first in everything that you do. And by doing so, you will be in the will of God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank you again, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you and just call upon your name 
and put you first tonight because we are honoring you when we come here and we call upon your name and we worship you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank you, O oh God, that for just covering us, for keeping us, for, for just laying your hand upon us and keeping our family, our church family, our friends. And Lord Jesus, I pray that none of us, Lord Jesus, will lose that zeal that we have for you. I pray, O oh God, that we will, it will increase, Lord. And as this new year unfolds, Lord, we will go out to do your will more and more. We will be evangelists, Lord. We will reach lost souls. We will touch them, Lord, and bring them into the house of the Lord so they can experience your mercy and your grace and your love. Lord Jesus, I pray, O oh God, that you would bless our time that we had with you this afternoon, Lord. And I pray that when we leave here, we will have something that we will take with us, O oh God, and hide in our heart so that we will not sin against you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would bless us, Lord Jesus, and keep us as we leave to our respective destination, O oh God. I pray that you keep your hand upon us and bless us and put a hedge of protection over us, Lord, until we meet again to praise you and to honor you and to keep you first in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we say amen. Amen. Please come 